I can't think of a better thing to shout in the new year that Jesus saves. Hallelujah. You know, we say happy new year. I'm saying a blessed year, years to come. And I have a, a scriptures, a couple of them that I want to share with you for the new year. This was quickened to my heart yesterday while I was walking and praying. And the first one is in Isaiah 33, verse 6. And it says, And he, the Lord, shall be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is his treasure. And the fear of the Lord is what he gives to us so that we can receive all that he's intended and all he's purposed for us. The other uh, scripture was Psalm 55, 22 in the Amplified. It says, Cast your burden on the Lord, releasing the weight of it, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to stumble, to fall, or fail. And the NAS adds, or be shaken. Everything in our world is being shaken right now. And it's a time of being able to press into him, into his word, and by the power of the Spirit to be able to lay hold of. Paul says, I make it my goal to lay hold of that for which I've been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He said this to me in uh, worship in first service. He said, 2020 is to be a year of preparation. I want you to be preparing for what I have for you and have flow through you. So it's a time to prepare, to be equipped, to be established, and to be able to receive what the Father has laid in store. That which eye has not seen or ear heard or entered into the heart of man those things that God has prepared for them that love him, but he's revealed them to us by his spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is an imperative. Jesus said this. He said that it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. So we're being changed. See what that does? You just bring the word and the lights come on. <laughs> this is so important for us to understand the workings of the spirit of God individually and corporately, so that we're able to receive what he has. The Spirit gives us ability to receive the word implanted, which is able to save our souls from going down some sorry path you don't need to go down. I've lived long enough to have gone down some of them stupid trails in that area. Don't do that. That's why the fear of the Lord is such an imperative. It's why faith is such an imperative. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And Jesus has got some things to say to us today in this whole dimension of the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> this thing dropped into my heart in staff meeting, oh, probably about a month ago. And then Rick told me that I was going to have to preach again. I thought, well, okay, I think I know where we're going. I have to be honest with you. This is one of the most difficult teachings I've had to prepare in that area. Because faith, in, in, it's an imperative that we draw faith from God. But I guarantee you, fear will come along. And even the thing of the fear of man will try to quench that. And I've had some assault over these past couple of weeks in that area with the fear of man. Don't say that. You'll offend somebody. Well, you know, the gospel does offend us from time to time. I remember Rick said it a while back. He said that sometimes the gospel... And the word of God just offends me. You know, it does. It needs to poke us right where we live at. So it brings us into a place of turning to the Lord, turning from something to the Lord. That's what repentance actually is. 
And I really believe that this is a season that the Lord is calling us to turn from whatever it is that prevents us from entering in and receiving what he has for us. Young people and old people, all of us, need to come into that place. See, repentance, I'm going to share a little bit of my own story. Repentance was a revelation to me, and I got saved when someone explained repentance to me. But I'll tell you what, repentance is a lifestyle. It's an area because the enemy is always trying to drag us into some sorry thing that will steal away your blessing and eventually can steal your life, your eternal life particularly. So the area of Jesus saving, and you hear me say this often, you need to be saved some more, not just again. You get saved initially, but the soul, man or woman, needs to be saved on a repeat basis because the soul wants to lead and be in control. It just doesn't have the capacity. And the reason it doesn't, it isn't because you don't have the intellect. Faith doesn't come in your brains. Faith comes in your spirit, man or woman on the inside. And that needs to be refreshed with the word of God. It needs to be fed by the word. So we're going to look at the word. We're going to let the word feed us again. Now, the reminder again of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Okay. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. It's the not yet seen part that we have trouble with because the soul wants something tangible, functional, that I can put my hands on, something that's real to me. When faith comes, it's more real than what you can put your hands on or what you can see in that area. Now, the Amplified Bible's got a great uh, phrase in that area. In, this is Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, faith believes as real fact that which is not yet revealed to the senses. It's the not yet part where it quickens in the heart by the Spirit of God and something translates in the ability to believe. So we can boil faith down to one word, it's trust. Do you trust? See, bottom line is we trust the Lord with part of our heart part of the time. And then the soul kind of takes over again and the enemy provides a lot of information that will discredit the very character of our God. I boiled spiritual warfare down to one thing, and that's an assault on the character of our God. Because his word is his will. When he speaks his word, and his will is his word, and his word's his will. And so being established in the word of God and allowing that to train and teach us. See, Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I didn't eat them. And they become to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. My friend Warren was in service in first service, and he said this to me a number of years ago. He said, Les, he said, putting the word of God in you is like putting money in the bank. One day there will be a withdrawal. So the area of making deposits of the word of God into your spirit, man or woman, those are the things that will bring life. It produces life. It brings us into the salvation experience, the power of the Holy Spirit. And it teaches us how to live life on a continuum. Okay. Um, Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look at some wisdom literature today. <clears throat> Proverbs is a, it's a book of contrast. It compares this is good, this is not, and this is why. And Proverbs has got 31 chapters in it. And I haven't done this for a while, but I've done it off and on for a lot of years. It's whatever the chapter or the, the day of the month is, read that uh, chapter in Proverbs. 
And it will increase your ability to receive from the Lord in that area. See, what is it? It's the fifth day. Well, so Proverbs 5 would be a, a good place. Now, one little other thing in that that I would suggest to you, and this was pointed out to us a, a lot of years ago, read until something strikes your heart and then don't read anymore. Stay there for a little bit. Ask the Lord questions. Investigate. Look in some cross-references in, in your Bible and you'll find it's an amazing area. Because our propensity is the soul wants to read for mileage, so i got to read the whole chapter. Well, maybe you do. If the, if the Lord quickens that to you, by all means do that. But spend some time along the way when he quickens something to your heart. You'll be surprised when you meditate on the Word of God and you think about it and ask him questions. I've learned to do this over a lot of years. And one of the other things that I do when something strikes my heart and I haven't got it yet, I'll say, I don't understand that. Would you explain that to me? Now, most of you have heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again. God talks when he wants to. Sometimes he answers me immediately. There's a quickening to it. And other times, I've forgotten I've even asked the question. All of a sudden, something drops into my heart. I like those the best, actually, because I know that it isn't my mind trying to figure it out. He's quickened something by the Holy Spirit in that area. But learn to have dialogue with the Lord. As a matter of fact, what I would suggest that you do, you do some of your praying out loud where you can hear it with the ears on your head. Two reasons. First of all, you get past the fear of the sound of your own voice if you have to pray for somebody else or you pray in a gathering somewhere. Because fear will always try to shut you down or you'll pray something religious. The other thing is that you will hear what comes out of your mouth and your spirit will discern it. Is this faith coming out or is this just some kind of a ritual prayer? Or those kind that dribble off your chin and run on the floor and there's no power in them because there's no faith in that area. So sometimes I have to go back to the Lord and say, listen, there is no faith in the bucket. Would you come as author and finisher of my faith and give me the prayer of faith that you could answer? So I'm aligning myself with him rather than telling him what he ought to do. Now, don't we do that from time? Jesus, you need to, and then we kind of fill in the blank. And he said, well, I thought I was running this thing. Why don't you come just walk with me for a while? My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So he is a good papa and he's patient with us and walks it out, walks it out. But I'm just giving you some of those simple things that I've learned over the years to have a relationship. Fear the Lord is relational. Our God is relational. We're going to expand on that a little bit. But to begin with, relationship with God is an imperative. It's not an option. Because our God refuses to do without an intimate relationship. He just wants you, not what you do. You know, John Wimber shared this with me on a teaching a long time ago. He said, when my children were small, he said, anytime I would walk into the room, they would hold up to me whatever they had in their hands. He said, I never wanted what was in their hands. I wanted them. And most of the time, little children are in, in motion. And they want to drag you. Boy, when my great-grandkids come over, I'm just wore out by the time because they want me to do something somewhere. But we're in an area when, when children finally dial down and they fall asleep on your chest. It's the most satisfying and releasing place that you can even imagine. 
Now, you know where I'm going with that, don't you? God wants you in that kind of an intimate relationship with him because that's where life comes. Now, he showed, this is a whole bunch of stuff that isn't in my notes, but this is for free for you guys because somebody needs to hear this. He showed me a picture of that to start with. The, the weaned child is no longer going after the mama's breast, okay? This is a little graphic, but I'm telling you, this is good. Because when the child is weaned, the child turns around and is leaning back against the mom. This is what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to lean back against him. Number one, you feel his heartbeat, okay? Number two, you feel his breath. He's close enough. You feel the breath of God, the pneuma, the spirit of God. It comes upon us in that area. The third thing is that we're not in conflict anymore wanting something. We're turned around looking the same direction he's looking in that area. Father, I pray right now, somebody's got to hear that in that area of that kind of intimacy, that kind of closeness with the living God that will release you from some of the things that have bound you up or prevented you from coming into a place of knowing the Father's love. God so loved that he gave and he's never stopped. That's his heart cry. That you be saved initially or you be saved some more. Okay. I don't know whether I need any notes or not today, Jake. Oh, this is good. I believe this stuff. I hope you guys have figured that out. See, this stuff is to be believed and received at the core of your being because it's life-giving. And our God is a life-giver. See, the first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And the spirit gives life. And that's what we're about today. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The beginning is the chief or principal parts. We've, we talked about the last time I, I preached was basics. These are basic things. This is what I just shared with you a few minutes ago. These are basic, fundamental, relational dimensions of the living God. God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, we're three-part being. We're spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is the part that's made like God. That's the part that gets born again. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And the soul needs to be saved on a continuum. That's why James says to receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The body, of course, is the earth suit that we live in, in that area. Now, two against one will always win. The soul is like the pendulum. When it swings over to the spirit... It makes your body do things it doesn't want to do. But when the soul swings over to the flesh, it drags your born-again spirit in places it doesn't want to go either. So these are fundamental areas, again, of understanding that the beginning of knowledge is about God. It's about Jesus. We're going to find Jesus right here in the book of Proverbs in that area. He is wisdom. I'll explain that a little further here in a moment. But the fear of the Lord, see... It's beginning of knowledge. Now, fools, on the other hand, despise wisdom and instruction. Now, the fool is one, they're not just stupid, they're rebellious. And that's the whole problem with man is, is the rebellion that's in there. And we'll talk about Adam here in just a, in a minute. But fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. 
Now the fool is one who despises wisdom, mocks when guilty, is quarrelsome, and is licentious. Now licentious is an old English word, but it's a very powerful word. It's giving license to that which God declares to be illegal. Because the fool wants to say, this is okay, and God's okay with that, when his word says very clearly that it's not in that area. So those are the things that begin to purge away the foolishness and the rebelliousness of man's heart. Now, I said earlier how wonderful the fear of the Lord really is. And Proverbs says it's the beginning of knowledge. And yet God had said to Abraham, do not fear. So what's up with all that? Because in Genesis 15, 1, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not fear, Abraham. I am a shield to you and your reward will be very great. Or a better translation can, can be, I am your very great reward. So remember now, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The reward is not just what he does. The reward is him. When we have him, we've got it all. If we've got just the stuff in that area, and a lot of people want Jesus' stuff, they just don't want him to tell them what to do. And so the whole area of the, the surrender to the will of God is huge. So let's go back in this fear thing, because let me back one. i got to give one more definition here for a second. Now we'll do it later. Uh, fear can be afraid. So let's look at the first time fear really came in. Go to me with Genesis chapter 3. Now remember, God gave Adam one instruction. Now he didn't do well with that. Because he said, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, that's the only tree that's off limits. You can eat of the tree of life. It's all in there. Eat what you want. Just don't go there. Well, the, the tempter comes along, tempts Eve, and Adam goes along with the program, and you know the rest of the story. Not good. So we're going to pick up with the not good part. Verse 8 of chapter 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Like he didn't know where he was. Not so. <clears throat> and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said to them, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Then of course the thing ensues in the whole blame shame dimension and pointing out in that area rather than admitting guilt. But the bottom line in this, Adam was afraid and he hid. When we're afraid, when I'm afraid, I hide rather than walking in the light. See, the word says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. So the things in, in uh, Ephesians, it says exposing the hidden works of darkness. Those are the things we don't want to do. So when we confess and we repent, for example, it is not when God finds out about it. Oh, I didn't know Les did that. Well, yeah, he did. He knew it all along. He knew it before you did it in that area. 
But when I confess that, when I open, see, confess means to say what happened and say it clearly and succinctly. And when I minister to people and we're having to walk through confession in that area and say, well, Lord, you know what it, yeah, he knows, but you need to say it out of your mouth. There's something that breaks the power of sin when we repent and we confess by the power and the workings of the Spirit of God. It releases us from the bondage and the oppression that tries to steal away your life and blessing because then we hide from God. So when the sin is involved in the thing, it's an involuntary response. The heart closes off in that area. It hides from the Lord in that area. When I repent and I walk in a the light, then my heart is opened again and I'm able to receive both the forgiveness and the cleansing. So I also instruct in that area, when you confess and repent, receive the forgiveness and the cleansing. Because the promise is, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to both forgive us and to cleanse us. So we receive the forgiveness, we receive the cleansing, that's what sets us free. And the power of sin is broken. And there's a destructive area that the enemy has planned to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you could have life. And the language is there, it's interesting, it's above abundance, it's superabundance. That's what Papa's got for us. That's why this walking in the light thing is huge. And even with Adam's sin and etc., immediately God had a plan. Genesis 3.15, we've already been through that whole area. He's going to send somebody to crush the serpent's head. And that's been done at the cross. That's why Jesus saves and he saves completely. Now Kinder said this. He said, the fall of man was a choosing of what would make one wise, but openly disregarded the first principle of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Now, Ryrie explains that a little further. He said, the fear of the Lord is a reverence for God expressed in submission to his will. That's what Adam did not do. And if he hadn't, one of us would have. So this is, this is something that's foolishness is bound in the heart of a child but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Now, Adam had a rough ride out of this whole situation, and so do we because of that area. So both are true. Do not be afraid of the Lord. Be in awe and respect and honor God because he is God Almighty. Now, here's some, a great antidote for fear. This is Psalm 56, 3 and 4. And it says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. That's declaration. What can mere man do to me? And of course, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and soundness of mind. And I rephrase that just a little bit. Uh, he's not given us a spirit of fear, but power that works by his love that produces soundness of mind. It's a progressive area, something that is supernaturally produced. And that's a, where the power of the soul gets in the way from time to time because we try to figure these things out rather than simply receiving them. Receive is our word. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, that area. And I've used this so often in, in the Greek area, it's lambano, is to re accept and receive what is offered, not to refuse or reject. It's a two-part word. Because some of the things, I like this part over here, but mm, I don't think I like this so much. When, when you receive Jesus, you've got to take the whole package. Because he pokes in your life and deals with stuff you don't want to talk about. 
because I want to talk about this. He said, well, no, we've got this little mess over here. Let's, let's talk about that. You've got an attitude problem or you've got an anger issue. He's been dealing with me in some of those areas in that area, particularly with other drivers. Now, I know none of you have ever had any occasion for that area, but I did. I got real grumpy and my wife said the other day, she said, that doesn't sound very Christ-like to me. And she was right. But I didn't want to hear that at the time. It took me a while to have to wrestle through till my heart let go. Then I had to go back to her and have her pray with me. See, those are the things where we walk in the light when you get poked on from time to time. You don't want to hear that. No, no, no. I want to talk about this over here. I want to be blessed. Well, sometimes in order to get to the blessing, you got to deal and clean up some of the unfinished business. That's one of the tokens that he said to me a lot of years ago. He said, unless you've got some unfinished business. We've dealt with a bunch of that stuff. And then he said, now he says, you got some habit patterns. Ooh, ugly. Habit patterns are just something that you just inadvertently wander off into without even having to think about it. And all of a sudden, you find yourself saying or doing something that, where does that come from? It's old flesh being resurrected. And the flesh is really good at wanting its own way and having its own process in this. It's foolishness. It's rebellion. Okay. Proverbs chapter 2. Go back to Proverbs again. I'm warning you on ahead of time, I'm just giving you a Costco taste today. You know that little deal where they give you those little samples and some of that stuff. Ooh, that's good. Where is that? And others say, oh, I don't think so. This is good stuff. So I'm encouraging you, Proverbs, dig through some of these things in that area. The fear of the Lord is something that you need to understand, not with your brains. It's something that you receive in your heart so that submission is an actuality, not mental assent. You can give mental assent to a lot of the word of God, but your feet go somewhere else. Now, I've heard the Lord say that to me, and he, he, I said, I, I really want to do it. He said, no, you don't. He says, watch where your feet go. Ooh. Not good. But he's such a good papa. He said, now come, come over here. Come to me when you're overburdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Here's the phrase, learn from me because I'm gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your soul. But if we don't learn it the, the first time that he comes with that instruction, he has a way of helping us make another lap around the mountain. I've already been down that road a time or two as well. Obey immediately. Because mental assent is not obedience in that area. Action is required, which we will see here in a moment. Pardon me. Preach myself thirsty, Jake. Proverbs 2, starting with the first verse. My son, if, big if there, you will receive, there's our word, my words, and treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry out with discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, for he gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
So receive, again, is, is a powerful dimension of taking what is offered and making it your own, possessing it, not saying, oh, that's a good thing. Well, it is a good thing, but it isn't good for you until you take hold of it, until you receive it, until your spirit ingests that. So notice effort is put forth here in this. I'm going to point this out for a minute because this does not fall on you like ripe apples off a tree. You've got to put forth some effort for it and press it in, press into it. So if you will receive, then verse two, make your ear attentive. And sometimes I just got to get myself by the ear and make attention to this. Because, you know, sometimes you read through scripture and I like to just skip over that part. That's generally the part we need to take hold of in that area because that's the thing that's poking me where I don't want to be poked. So I got to make my ear attentive. Incline my heart. Now the heart is a combination of soul and spirit. This is where two against one will win. So the soul is not devalued, your intellect is important in that area because it becomes the vehicle for your spirit so that there is motion and action that takes place in these things. Climb your heart. And if you cry out for discernment, you lift your voice. These are the areas where we're crying out to the Lord for an understanding. And I said this earlier, but I'm going to say it again. Sometimes there is no faith in the bucket at all. And um, Hebrews 12, 2 says, um, looking away from all that would distract to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of your faith. Another translation says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. I need to go to him and have him birth something in me to carry out what I know he wants me to do at that point in time that I don't want to do. But there's something of the changing and the transforming and embracing him as producing something supernatural in me. And all of a sudden, this is what happens. I, or he gets my want to rather than my have to. Because he has said this to me there many times. He says, "Less when I get your want to, that's when the process actually begins. Up until that time, you're just blowing smoke to me. They're just, they're just verbiage in that area. There's no faith involved in it. But when he produces faith, then I actually want to. And I've literally felt that and asked him that multiple times. It's like a little switch flips on the inside of me. And I actually want to do what I didn't want to do 10 minutes before. These things are huge because they will give credibility to what you are speaking to him because there will be action that flows out of that area. So action is required in that area. Problem is, we've tried to put the action with there's no faith and no empowerment in it. That's works. They're dead. They produce nothing. So our area is to come and allow him to create in me power and desire, both to will and to do for his good pleasure, not necessarily mine. But I have learned over a long time frame that when I desire what he desires, then I'm blessed in that area. Because it's the blessing of the Lord that makes truly rich. He has no sorrow to it. I do that. I add the sorrow to it, being grumpy, not wanting to do what he wants me to do. But when I bend my will to that, when I incline my ear, boy, we got a new day then. Then verse four, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, I want to stop there for a minute. Colossians, it says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. That's where this is, because he is wisdom. And we'll look at that here in a second. Matter of fact, I'll give it to you now. 
1 Corinthians 1.30 says, By his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So we have to want this. You have to press into it. So then again, the reward is him and all that he does for us. Now we're going to just cruise through some other things. In uh, These are <laughs> Costco bites again, if you will. Go to chapter 3. And we'll look through some more of this area of the fear of the Lord. Starting with verse 5, familiar word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. This happened to me a number of years ago. I'm uh, driving down the road listening to a, a fellow preach. And he was preaching on this section. And he said, "Why instead of uh, leaning to your own understanding, why don't you lean to his understanding? It was just a little phrasing in there that really struck my heart. So what do you understand about this situation that I need to know? So I'm positioning myself. That's where humility comes into this thing and, and leaning to his understanding. See, he's a good papa. Sean, he knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. See, the word says, before you call, I will answer. And while you are yet speaking, I will hear. That's what we're wanting to discover in that area. Those are the things that set us free. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's the fool. Fear the Lord and turn, amplifies this entirely away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. I think there are times even that we have physical ailments where we haven't obeyed the Lord, where we need to come into a place of repentance and receive that, acknowledge him. I know I need to deal with this in that area. And I know for sure it really oppresses the soul and the soul is troubled in that area when we know we've heard from the Lord and we've refused to obey him. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8. <clears throat> Verses 12 and 13. I, wisdom, or we could say, I, Jesus, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance in the evil way. See, when, when you begin to love what God loves and hate what God's love, then we're right in the, into the will and purposes of God. Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a repetitive area again of what we had in chapter 1. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Chapter 14. Verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. See, these are the generational blessings also that when we fear the Lord and you model that and you demonstrate, your kids will pick up on that as well. And they will begin to embrace that whole area. See, our goal is, and I always pray this when we dedicate children, that they will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ at the earliest possible age, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and be released into the gift and the calling that, and the anointing that God has placed in their lives. And so I'm often, when, when I'm praying for the children, I, I'll instruct you, many of you have done this already, I say, when your children are close by, lay your hands on them. 
Power doesn't come out of your hands, but power is released into their lives with a laying on of hands. Paul says to Timothy, he says, stir up the gift that's within you that's been placed there with a laying on of hands. So you begin to pray over them prophetically and pray over them things that the Lord quickens to your heart. It releases the power of God into their lives. And if they've got other rubbish that's going on in their lives, it's time to lift that and break its power as well. Luke 10, 19 and 20 says this, Behold, I give you power and authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But do not rejoice in this, that their spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That gives you authority. You've been given stewardship over your children and grandchildren. Pray over them. Declare over them the word of the Lord and bless them in the process of becoming all that God has intended and purpose for them in that area. The laying out of hands is a big deal, people. I used to have to chase my children out the door. We're going to be late for school. I know, but I need to put my hands on you a minute. Doesn't take very long, see? And it doesn't say you even have to pray. It says just lay your hands on them. And they recover. Now, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Remember that term. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Chapter 16. Verses 6 and 7. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Boy, I've claimed that a dime or two. Proverbs 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. There's something of the peace of God that comes over our lives. His fear of the Lord enters in. The honor and the respect is not terror. Now, that's what Adam had in there. It's not what we're talking about in this instance. We're talking about the, the reverent awe and respect of God and submitting to his will and purpose. That's what the fear of the Lord produces. Chapter 23, <clears throat> verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. There's a continuum of this, and this is what he's talking for, about. Now, turn one book to the left to Psalms 111. <clears throat> Verse 10. There's a repetition again of the same aspect. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. We're going to go right down to 112. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandment. commandments. <clears throat> his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches, excuse me, are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with a man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment and he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. 
He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away, and the desire of the wicked will perish. Now, as we read down through that, and we've been talking about the fear of the Lord and all the blessings and everything that goes with that in there, it sounds like everything is just a cakewalk. Well, not so. Just because we're fearing the Lord doesn't mean that everything goes well. Job is a great example of that. Job was a man, it says very clearly, that feared the Lord. He reverenced the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. Well, there was some bad stuff that came down when Satan was attacking him. At the Lord's doing, by the way, that'll mess with your theology all, all by itself. But it's in there that needs to be reckoned with. So the longevity of that area, even when Job's wife said, well, why, are you, why do you hold on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Well, when Job, Mrs. Job has got some bad press along the line. But think about it. Her husband is in a disastrous place physically. All her children are gone, and everything they had was gone in the same process in that area. But because of Job's integrity, he held firm to the fear of the Lord. Everything was restored to him again in that area. So we don't want to promote that everything is going to be wonderful because a bunch of you and myself as well have walked through some tough stuff along the way. But the fear of the Lord is a long-term event. We're long-haul people. We have to finish the appointed course that's been set before us in that area. It's one of the reasons why we have to do it together. We have to be able to share some of these things with one another and pray for one another so we can be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of heart and mind. Man, when I get in the flesh, I need somebody to help me get back in the spirit again and be able to, to bear my burdens. And I felt that literally where somebody else is praying about my situation, faith comes back in my heart again. It's like a little switch flips on the inside. I said, well, yeah, I think I can do this some more. Man, as a pastor, I have years ago, I was just sometimes, I just can't do this anymore. And then we would go to a pastor's gathering and, and, and we begin to pray for each other. Think, well, I think I could do it for another week. Let's go after this. So the area of being encouraged and comforted through these things, I think, is just an imperative. And us in the Northwest, we're a bunch of independent folk. You know, we don't want anybody to help us or ever admit we want to have any need. Males particularly, no, I'm, I'm fine. We're lying through our teeth most of the time in that area when we could get some help and get some assistance in there and get back in the spirit again and walk in faith rather than in fear of what's going to come down or that somebody will find out what's happening to me. That's just the dumbest thing in the world. Now, I told you to remember the snare thing. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 29. I know I'm being a little bit fierce this morning, but I'm not making an apology for that. It's just what the Spirit of God is. He's incredibly serious about wanting us to come into a place that's truly redemptive. And we're not just going through the motions and we're walking in this building and then leaving the way we came in that area. We need to be strengthened. We need to be refreshed. We need to be encouraged. 
And we need to be set free from the power of sin and death as well. Because the enemy's got a plan. And this is, describes that. <clears throat> fear of man. 29.25. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. To bring a snare is to cause to fear. It's a snare or a noose that, that chokes the life out of us. And it's caused something that will cause injury. But trusting in the Lord to be exalted is, exalted is a neat word also. It means to be set on high. Same word is used in Proverbs 18 where it says, The name of the Lord is a high tower, and the righteous runs to it and is safe. Amplified adds, high above evil and strong. Then verse 11 was interesting. It says, A rich man's wealth is a strong city and a high wall in his own imagination. There's a lot of people think wealth will be a protective thing for them. Where you get in trouble in spiritual things, wealth isn't going to profit you much. Your wealth is what you've sown into your heart by the Spirit of God in the Word of God, and you go to Him and receive from Him His instruction, and He will quicken His Word to you that's been in there for a day or so. Okay, go to the book of Colossians. We're going to kind of land here temporarily. Colossians is is a is a book of both declaration. And it's also a book of warnings. One of the things I've really discovered in this whole area with a, uh, studying about the fear of the Lord, how warnings are there for an imperative. I've given you the truth. I've given you this in there. Make sure you hold on to that. Don't wander off from it. Don't let go of this. These are your values. And I'm, I often talk to our staff about that. And Well, this is a good thing to do, but are these our values? Do these come with the values at the Bridge Christian Fellowship? Valuing the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are our highest values here at this fellowship in that dimension. In there. And we're proclaiming, declaring that on a repeat basis. And we bump up against each other from time to time and say, well, this is really a good idea. Well, it doesn't equate with our values, so we have to lay some of those things aside that sound good, but they're not in line with at least what God has called us to do here. And I've had to wrestle through some of those areas myself in my own life. Chapter 2 in Colossians, I'm going to begin with the first verse here. I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face. That would be us. We haven't seen Paul face to face. Jake, you and I are going to sit down and have Paul, uh, a discussion with Paul one of these days. Looking forward to that time frame. That their hearts may be encouraged in having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth which comes from the full assurance and understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Remember, we had that in Proverbs 2, in that area. We investigated that dimension of seeking for them as for hidden treasures. Again, it isn't what he does, it's him. It's Christ in you. Now, back up to verse 26 here, because Paul is leading into this thing. In the struggle, he says in, in uh, verse 1 in chapter 2, is a prayer struggle because he was in prison right now. He didn't, he brought the word of God to them. He had given them a letter, etc. But he was giving them an understanding of how important this is. Verse 26, 
That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifest to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. That's what a born-again experience is when Jesus Christ comes to live inside us. His power, his very life is quickened to us. The hope of glory. And we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I also labor, striving. It's the same word, the striving and the struggle there, the same word according to his power, which mightily works within me. There's passion in this. This is what we have passion for, is the people to come to a real understanding of how much God loves them and being able to embrace that. Now, verse four, he's going to begin a warning in this area. He's, he's laid out all the values, the same values that the, the fear of the Lord produces. He lays these things out very clearly. Full assurance. Then he says in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Remember our first verse there in, in Isaiah 33 was, he will be stability in your times. These are very personal areas. And there are times where I had to say, Lord, I need to be stabilized. I'm just kind of all over the map with this thing. And I've kind of lost my direction. As you therefore have received, there's our word, paralambano, same part of that same word again, Christ Jesus the Lord, soul, walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. So he's again laying out the values of what you've been taught. Get a hold of this thing. Don't let go of it. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than to Christ. For in him, him Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all authority. So the receiving is a paralambano there to receive instruction from teachers. He's given instruction, very specifics, all the way through this thing. Then we're rooted and etc. So the deception, I want to look at a couple things in, in uh, verse 8. Philosophy, John Corson says that's just education. Sometimes educated area, it isn't like we throw our brain away, but sometimes education tends to override the word of God by things added to it. We're going to look at that here in a moment. Empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the word of God. Now, <clears throat> I said this in first service. I'm going to say it to you as well. Don't go telling everybody that all tradition is bad. Okay, it's not. There's good tradition and there's bad tradition. And we're going to look at that because that's a very important part because it's legalism that gives man's word the same weight as God's word. That is what deception is. So tradition, the good tradition, Paul talks about this, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. 
So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by mouth or by letter from us. It's a warning against being deceived. Now, bad tradition, Jesus is going to explain that to us in Mark chapter 7, if you'll go there with me. I give you just a little background on that. The Pharisees were always picking at, at something to find fault with Jesus and undermine who he was. I mean, this whole bunch had been praying for Messiah like for a long, long time. They're looking Messiah smooth in the face and they can't see him because he didn't come the way they thought or what they wanted in that area. And they became fools for sure. So they're grumbling uh, to Jesus about the boys not washing their hands right. So we're going to pick up here in verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And he explains that area. He's, they were saying, well, anything I could have helped my parents with, I just call it Corbin. That means given to God, so I don't have to turn a wheel and help them at that point in time. In verse 13, he says, thus invalidating the word by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many such things. Not a good ride. So tradition of man that Jesus and Paul are addressing, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is quoting Isaiah. That was given 700 years before Jesus. So these boys have been at this hardness of heart for a long, long time. David Guzik says this. He says, this is one of the pillars of legalism, taking a commandment or opinion of men, teaching or promoting it as a doctrine from God is what supports legalism. It gives man's word the same weight as the word of God. And then to reject the commandment of God to keep your tradition. Ironside said this. I thought this was awesome. To the spiritual mind is a question of unceasing wonder that men should be so ready to follow and even fearlessly contend for the authority of human traditions while they are just as ready to ignore the plain teaching of the Word of God. It's adding to the Word. See, the gospel is so simple, we need help to misunderstand it. And boy, we've had a bunch of that. So I want to share with you just a little bit of my own story and dealing with tradition in, in my own life, what I was born and raised in. I want to prep this with the fact that at 16 years old, I did not have a working knowledge of the Word of God. I was pretty good at Bible quizzes, but I didn't know the Lord. I wasn't saved yet at the time. And in our youth group, we were studying at that time of the church doctrine of... Um, let me back up for, for a minute. One more thing I wanted to share. I was never exposed to an invitation in our church to receive Jesus as Lord of my life. No altar calls or anything like that. That's stuff the Baptists did. They did we didn't do that in our church. 
Well, thank God the Baptist did that because my wife went in the fifth grade to a Baptist Bible camp and got saved because somebody asked her if she'd ever received Jesus as Lord of her life. So there's a lot of churches making assumptions along the way but never give an invitation or an opportunity to receive the Lord. That's why we do it every time we gather in that area because it's the most important decision you can ever make in your life, not giving mental assent to the gospel but receiving Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. John 1 and 12 says, to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. We're still in the becoming process. We're growing into maturity in that area. And any of us very mature in anything in that area. We're just a bunch of kids learning how to walk with Jesus. So anyhow, we're studying a church doctrine uh, that was unconditional election and predestination. Simply defined in that area is God chose in eternity past those who would be saved and those who were not. That was a very troubling to me in that area, this whole doctrine of election. So I met with my pastor who I loved and respected very much. Matter of fact, I dated his uh, sister-in-law for a while. So he was a man that I truly respected. And my question was, how do I know if I'm elect? And this was his answer to me. He said, you can't. He says, when you get to heaven, your name will be on the other side of the door, and then you will know. That left me very disillusioned at that point in time. Because all I wanted to know is how to receive Jesus. Nobody was explaining that part to me. So because I had a bunch of rebellion in my life, and I had a little help from the enemy, I guarantee you, in this thing, I thought, well, if I'm not elect, why miss the party? So I went and just lived like a, like a pagan for the next 17 years. I continued to go to church on a complete basis, but I was not getting it. I had no intimate relationship with the Lord. And then God brought a bunch of people into my life that were truly born again in my church and they were full of the Holy Spirit. And another pastor I met out of my same tradition explained repentance to me. And he said this to me really straight away. He said, Les, he said, you're a sinner and you need to get down on your knees and you need to repent and you need to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. And I did that and I was born again that night. And it was a meeting outside of, out of church. And then he prayed for me for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it radically changed my life and it's just never been the same since that time frame. And so what he simply gave me was Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just a side note, I met the first pastor uh, a number of years later, and he got it. You know, he just was radically changed because he gave me a seminary answer. He didn't give me a Bible answer. And he was stuck in a place also that didn't have a working knowledge of the Word of God. See, the Word is pretty simple, but the Word's got to be received. The Word needs to be implanted. It needs to be allowed to grow and increase. And that's why Paul was so intense in this area of establishing for the Colossian people, for those in Laodicea, and for all of us, that we don't get captive by the theology and the tradition of man that makes the word of God of no effect. And so did Jesus. So I'm asking us all to check our tradition. Are they biblical or have they been passed down to us that are not from the word of God? 
Why do you believe what you believe? 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, it says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterance. But examine or test everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. The word good there means genuine or approved or precious. Now, Paul and Peter both had to have some adjustments in their tradition. Okay? Paul says in Galatians 1, he said, I was zealously, exceedingly zealous for my ancestral traditions. He's on the road to Damascus with letters to capture anybody that had believed in Jesus and was in the way and bring them back bound to Jerusalem to stand trial in that area. Well, you know the story, Nader. He got interrupted by Jesus himself. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting in that area. Radical change in that area. And all of a sudden, and see, there's a whole bunch of folk didn't even believe that. They thought, well, this is the guy that was putting everybody in prison. Now he's preaching the gospel. He can't be trusted. Well, they had to go through that whole thing. That's a story you can read on your own there in Acts 9 and, and following. And then Peter, see, it was time for the Gentiles to receive the gospel. Now, the whole church up until that time was pretty much Jewish all the way through this thing. But the Gentiles, and see, thank God. You know, Gary's not here this morning. He's always reminding us he's got some Jew blood in him in that area. And we, we, we go along with that because we've all been wild olive branches grafted in as well. But we're most of us Gentile folk. And because of that, the gospel has come to us as well to be received, to be assimilated into our lives, and to be established. That's one of the reasons we're so high on Israel here in all the things. They're God's chosen people. And we have opportunity to be able to enter into these things as well and being able to receive what Papa's got for us in this whole process. So anyhow, Peter in Cornelius in Acts 10, you can look at that sometime as well. I love that story. He, finally, he shows up there. He says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears God and does what is right is welcome to him. That is so key in that area. He doesn't just pick and choose. He's open to all. See, it's an open invitation. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved, but the invitation is open to every person. And that's what I was missing in my life. So in checking your traditions, see how the Holy Spirit is viewed. This is key because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> So also, are the gifts of this Holy Spirit, are they current or are they passed away? This is essential for the season ahead and the things that God is preparing for us in there to walking in the gifting and the anointing of God. And it's why and the last time I preached, I told you that every one of you is an evangelist if you know Jesus. You've got good news to bring in that area. And to be able to bring what he's given to you, you need the workings of the Spirit of God. They've got to be something that's current and functional in your life. Now, <clears throat> here's our question. If you could, or in a battle of any sort, and you could take away your enemy's most powerful weapon, would you do it? Well, absolutely we would. It's exactly what the enemy has done as far as the power of the Holy Spirit is concerned. 
He has distorted that more than any other one thing. Told us it's not for today. Those things have passed away. I'm telling you, it's a lie from hell. These are the things that we need to embrace fully. Jesus said this, it's better for you if I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. He will teach you about all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. It's an absolute essential. Holy Spirit is not an option, people. It's the spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will come to you when he told them he would bring, give them another helper. He also said, Dad and I are coming. We're going to come and make our abode with you. The life is in the Spirit and by the Spirit. And then Jesus said, he won't speak of himself. He'll speak of me. The revelation of Jesus Christ comes by the Holy Spirit. The revelation of the Word of God comes by the power of the Spirit of God. So the enemy has done a lot in that and distorted those things with a religious spirit. Remember, he's a liar from the beginning and the truth is not in him. So the bottom line for today is fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of man's got death attached to it. Make sure that no one takes you captive through deception, education, or vain deceit and rob from you what Jesus Christ has for you. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we just stand with humility of heart declaring your word. This is not my word. This is your word. You desire that all men would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, come to a knowledge of the truth, and none should perish, but all should come to eternal life. And Father, if there's anyone here today that has never surrendered their life to you, then I pray that this would be the day of salvation. I so remember, Lord, that night when I was prayed for, Lord, it was just like I was released from captivity and bondage. New life came. And also, Lord, along those same lines, that the power of the Holy Spirit would establish our lives. If there are traditions, Lord, this is where the fear of man prevents us. Would you give us the courage and the boldness to forsake the tradition of man for the truth of the word of God and the traditions that have been passed down by word of mouth or by letters that have been given to us in truth. And that you, Jesus Christ, has given to your bondservants. And so we stand today, Lord, making a request. Would you continue to birth in us vision and insight for the season ahead? How to be able to do that individually and how to do it corporately. Spirit of the living God, will you come and fill this place with faith? in every one of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, this will be the day. You can come and we'd love to pray with you. Or you can pray by yourself or pray with a person next to you. And if you have something that you hadn't come forward for and you want to pray with us, we'll be around here afterwards to pray with you as well. If you have any other need, place is open. Come and get it. Father, in Jesus' name, would you give us grace now as we worship? Let us receive together. That's our word, is receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.